Good morning and welcome to Faith FM. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8, or 8, right across Australia, right across the, the Faith, Faith FM, FM network. network. You're listening to 87.6, 87.8, 88, right across Australia, right, right across, across the, the Faith, Faith FM, FM network. network. You're you here guys. with Lawson and Mon and Lyle. <laughs> you guys stuffed that up so badly. I thought we did pretty good. Cool. I, I, After I, I all these it. years and you it. still don't know it off by heart, <laughs> I can't believe years. it. <laughs> we don't copy you because, like, we're impressed or something. We just do it to make fun of you. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get us fired. <laughs> out. Out. Get out of the studio. <laughs> Sorry, Lyle, were you about to say something? <laughs> I was about to say, good morning and welcome. No, anyway. <laughs> you guys spoiled all of my fun. <laughs> Always gives me a joyful start to the morning and now I'm just sad. It's all right. You can do it when we go off air. <laughs> yeah, as many right. times as you like. Uh, thanks. <laughs> you guys are just special. Well, welcome indeed, everyone. Uh, today is a special show. We have Lawson joining us for you. the duration of the show, and I'll be here for half of it. Uh, but guys, what are you grateful for? Ooh, we'll start with Lawson. Oh, what am I grateful for? Okay, so on Tuesday morning, we had a meeting here at the conference office with all of the, the, the Bible workers who are working in this um, in this conference in North New South Wales. We got together and just talked about some different strategies and things we can do. And that was awesome. But, you know, it, it's a meeting. Like, meetings are good and meetings sometimes meetings. a waste of time. But good. It was really good. But then for lunch, we had vegan fried chicken. And it was the most epic thing ever. It tasted so good. And I was loving life. So, yeah, I'm pretty grateful for that. Isn't it funny how he tells us a whole backstory when he could have just said, I had vegan fried chicken for lunch. No, you just said, you just had to know. I'm thankful for vegan fried Fried chicken. chicken. (laughs) Lawson with the extra sauce details. I I needed needed to set the scene. Okay, okay, okay. okay, okay, We'll get some details with some details on the side. Real quick, real quick. Here comes mine. I am thankful for August. Oh, oh yeah, happy August, everyone. Pinch and a punch Ouch. for the first day of the month. Flicking oh. a kick for being so quick. You're <laughs> <laughs> awesome. back. This is a reminder, you are listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show and interact with Mon and myself for the breakfast show, then simply go to faithfm.com.au and press play or use the TuneIn radio app. And maybe in the next segment, I'll tell you guys what I'm grateful for. But for now, this is Anna Weatherwell without the cross. We hope you enjoy the show today. It's going to be a bit of a banger with the three of us in here. My Savior bleed, did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for someone such as I? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. So 
back, guys. That was Anna Weather Up with At The Cross. You're listening to Faith FM. We are about to have the first clue for our quiz. What have you got for us there, Mon? All right, boys. Let me see if I can pick out, like, the hardest one ever. Okay, 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 okay. I'm going to do this one. It's a what number in my quiz? You boys ready to guess? Mm-hmm. This is the first clue. Because Saul put the Gibeonites to death, there was a famine in Israel for this number of years. Yeah, no, I don't get that one. Do you know it? It's probably the next chapter of like First Samuel that I'm currently reading through because I'm reading about oh, Saul. Oh, you're right in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're one chapter behind. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's got to be the next thing that happens because I'm like... Starting to run out of this the first time the two of you have been here for the breakfast quiz and you're sort of pitted against each other in a death duel? Ooh, I think it might be. be. Quiz to the death. I didn't know it was that one. Age and experience versus (laughs) uh, youth and vigour. I thought the quiz was for the listeners. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to try and get out of this. (laughs) Give us a call if you know the answer. The quiz is indeed for the listeners. Uh, 1-800-FAITH-FM is our number. 1-800-324-843. Or can text. 0491064669. Uh, the prize this morning uh, is going. Uh, do you know what? It's going to be double prizes if you can get it before Lyle and Lawson. Uh, but I'm thinking it might be a swanky cookbook. Oh, yeah. Yes. And I might chuck, I'll chuck in a CD. Does it have um, a recipe for vegan chicken in it? <laughs> do you know what? I think it does. One of our listeners texted in. Good morning, Darren. Uh, texted in and said, What is vegan chicken? Is the chicken vegan? <laughs> yes, we need to know the answer to this question, Lawson. Oh. Uh, the chicken that you were eating, was that a chicken that was just, you know, uh, locked away and not allowed to eat grubs and snails and slugs and. No, 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 no. So it wasn't actually chicken. It was it was a meat substitute. Did, so, t- did it taste so like chicken? It, but that's the thing. It tastes like chicken. <laughs> like then I wouldn't eat it because I can't stand chicken anymore. I have been a vegetarian for way too long, and sometimes I eat these um, meats, and they made to so- taste so much like the real yeah. thing. It's like Ooh, yeah, I think they dead. actually that tastes dead. I think they tastes actually like taste dead better. Shook. They taste better, and I know it, this. It and I know this because last week I accidentally ate. Um, some burger patty like I went to a burger joint and I asked they had a mushroom burger on the menu which like most people understand is like the vegetarian option but they stick a mushroom in it to compensate for the patty and so I said can I have the mushroom that's a um, that's a fair compensation because mushroom is 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 an animal exactly it's a meat and so I said can I have the mushroom burger with no mushrooms and they were like yep and so they made it up so just me I took it you know in my car and then I drove like 20 minutes away before I started eating it and I took a couple of bites out of it and I'm like why does this taste like a shoe and then I looked down, and there's a full-on patty in it, and it was so revolting. And I'm like, and at, that, at that point, I realised that when they say mushroom burger, that it's still like a regular meat burger. They just add mushroom sauce to it, and so I was, you know, mistaken. It was my fault. Uh, I didn't understand. Geek. But I was like, is this what real beef burger patty, beef burger patty tastes like? Because it's disgusting. Like yeah. all the veggie options that I had are way more succulent and tasty and flavoursome. How long since you've had a like a you know that, sat down and enjoyed a real beef burger? I'd never had a beef. I grew up really? vegetarian. Oh, really? Okay, there, there you go. go. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Had, no wonder you think fish. it's disgusting then. Yeah, yeah, it was really yeah. rank. Yeah, I'm not. I Tastes wasn't dead. Impressed. Sorry, Tastes guys, dead. but <laughs> it's like dead Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> dead Tucker. <laughs> yeah, my dad's boss used to go into the restaurant all the time. He's like, "Yep, I want da, 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 and make his order, but no dead Tucker." <laughs> I love it. And the Chinese look at him, no dead Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've got some good news coming up for you today. Um, 
I want. Who's going to go first here, Lawson? You, you, you go first. Are you sure? Yeah. Because I got a story that I've been dying to tell Lyle for right. the last day, or well, yeah, the last twenty four hours. So Lyle, get this right. You're going to love this. Thirteen year old boy from East China was found guilty of hacking two seaplanes for a joyride last week. So he borrows. <laughs> he takes them for some joy wrap lines in the tarmac, but instead of being punished for his little heist, I mean, he got fined. Um, but the pilot okay, was he hacking them or is he stealing them? Because hacking is kind of like you digitally take over these so aircraft. He, so reportedly, he learned how to start the planes after he biked uh, to the Taihu Lake Hangar in the Xinjiang uh, province. And, uh, and he watched pilots doing maintenance repairs on the planes. And then he biked back to the airport in the dead of the night and dragged one of the seaplanes onto the tarmac so he could take it for a drive. Yes! And after, <laughs> he accidentally <laughs> ran the hero. plane into a guardrail. So he was like, well, that one's done. So he hopped into a second plane and then took that for a few laps around this the tarmac. Is a bad idea. <laughs> that is the most Before epic he abandoned thing. that one too and escaped on his bike. Um, so the police officials, uh, they consulted the hangar. Security footage identified the boy and they did negotiate a price of a, a the small fine from his family in order to fix a damaged seaplane. But the cool story is, like, sure, he got punished, which he should have been. Absolutely. Um, but the pilots uh, that work at this hangar, um, the hangar employees, decided instead of condemning him to nurture what was clearly a bit of a, an interest. A passion. Yeah. And so they have decided uh, to teach him how to fly. They're like, do you know what? Instead yes. of using all this energy and this love for planes that you have for bad, we're going to train you how to use it for good. Um, and they're actually apparently quite impressed with his skill. There you go. I mean, it's just from observing maintenance and <laughs> to being able to drive a plane around. Um, so the pilots apparently were quite admiring of him. And uh, yes, yeah, so they're taking him under, his, under their wing and they're giving him flying lessons to help him become a certified pilot. You know, I had a friend. I had a friend once, a, a young friend, a, a young lad whose passion was blowing things up. <laughs> no, it seriously was. Okay. And so I told him that he should get his, uh, that he should, you know, get his license and make a career out of it, and uh, and you know, um, um, you know, go and blow up, um, you know, in 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 mines and quarries and oh, cuttings yeah, and yeah, roads, because yeah. it's pretty epic fun. Uh huh. And that's what he did. No. Oh. oh, sad. <laughs> sad. Lawson, tell us your story. But I'm like, you know, with most things that uh, destructive that destructive kids get into, I think there's probably a uh, positive or a useful side to it. Absolutely. You just need some clued in adults to guide those passions. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's right. Good fun. Lawson. Oh, well, my story, this is, this is like the most epic thing ever. So, basically, there's this lady. Her name's Ariel Rigney. Okay. And, and um, she lost her leg in a car accident, so she wears a prosthetic. But she's very, very active. And she loves, you know, going on runs and, and hikes and, and swimming and doing all those amazing things. And over the weekend, she went, um, she went like kayaking, you know, down like a you know, the rapids and stuff, you know, just down a river um, in in Oregon. And she strapped her prosthetic leg, you know, down to the uh, down to the to the kayak and she's going along and then they hit a bit of turbulence and the and the bungee cord came undone and she oh, no. lost her prosthe- prosthetic oh, leg no. in the Oops. water. And so a bunch of her friends, they all dived in to find it, but no one could get it. They didn't have any, you know, diving gear or anything. So that would just the moral of the story is tie a float to your prosthetic when you yeah, get to the Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put a life jacket around that thing. <laughs> <laughs> but check this out. This is where it gets so good. This guy, this like random dude, just like goes snorkeling. Um, his name is in if, the river. 
Yeah, he just goes like he goes goes snorkeling in the river, um, and he comes across a random prosthetic leg. His name's Eric. (laughs) Eric, he's just like, and he's the coolest looking dude. He's got this giant beard, and he's just like a redneck, and he's just like snorkeling in the river. Explains why he was snorkeling in the river. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, there you go. That's why he's just snorkeling (laughs) in the river, and he's just like hanging out. And this chick was just sure. She's like, nah, prosthetic legs gone. She posted about it on Facebook and was like, yeah, my prosthetic legs gone. Rip, you know, ha ha ha. It's funny but sad and really, really expensive. (laughs) Yeah, super expensive. Anyway, old mate's just snorkeling along, and he said, you know, he often finds really interesting things, but all, all. All of a sudden, he comes along, he comes across a prosthetic leg. And when he picks it up, he notices, he's like, man, this isn't like, you know, this doesn't have algae on it. It's all like messed up and there's barnacles. This is like fresh. So, he takes a prosthetic leg home, goes on Google, looks up, you know, the, the name of the river was, if I had, uh, the Clackamas River. He just typed in Clackamas River lost leg into Google and a Facebook post come up <laughs> and, and bam! <laughs> and they met up and gave, you know, <laughs> prosthetic leg back <laughs> like here's your leg back <laughs> that is the most epic thing <laughs> love like, it and it reminds me it makes me think like I think we all have those stories of something that we've lost and we're like oh rip and then you know we might find it heaps you know a way long time later or someone might find it for us but I'm just like th- that is by far and away the best story that will ever exist of someone losing something and someone giving it back like oh yeah I lost me leg in a river and some I don't know guy- dude were you here like maybe like six months ago when I told the story about the guy who also had a prostate leg who went skydiving and it fell off mid skydive and just landed somewhere and he thought that was the rest- end of that and then some like some shovel worker kind of guys were like shoveling a haystack and in the middle of the haystack was the leg and so they went to the police station and handed it in. So this is a really common thing. <laughs> oh, How are they attaching even, these things? These I, things seem to just pop off everywhere. <laughs> I could tell you a story about that, but maybe I'll just save it for the next section. Um, I have a prosthetic leg story being lost um, as well. <laughs> and being found? And being found. Oh, and being found. Yes. Two of them, by the way. Two of them. Oh, mercy. If you two have, of them lost, both found. Well, if, you, <laughs> if you have a prosthetic limb story that's gone lost and has been found again, give us a call and tell us it. Uh, 1-800-FAITH. FM is our number is 1-800-324-843 there's so many biblical stories um, biblical lessons we can draw from this there was a woman in the Bible days she had been sick sick so very long but she heard my Jesus was passing by so she joined the gathering throng and while she was pushing her way through Someone ask her, what are you trying to do? She said, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made whole. She cried, oh, and oh. She had no, had no more to spare The doctors, they done all they could But their medicine would do no 
touch me She said it was I who just want to touch the hem of your garment I know I'll be made whole right now She stood there crying oh, You're listening to Solsters with a touch the hem of his garment. You listen to Faith FM, and there comes another clue for our quiz. What number am I? Mm, let me just uh, figure out which is actually the hardest quiz. Okay, here we go. Yeah, I'm going to skip the next clue and go to the third clue because it's a bit harder <laughs> than the second clue. <laughs> okay, what number am I? The law requires all men to appear before the Lord this many times a year. Ooh. Ooh. Did you say the law? No, I said the... L- oh, yeah, I did. Yep. Yeah. Um, Hide your answer from Lawson. Lyle is correct. I'm just going to start counting down from 100. <laughs> <laughs> Might take you a while. Wouldn't that be terrible if the number was 101? <laughs> it's not 100 and it's not 101. There's some bonus clues for you. Give us a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM, if you think you know the answer. Okay, so I did tell you I'd... I'd share a uh, lost limb story. prosthetic limb story. This one's actually um, quite inspiring in its own way. Um, during the Second World War, Sir Douglas Badder <laughs> was a Spitfire pilot uh-huh. and had two prosthetic legs. Um, he was an ace pilot um, with uh, like 20-odd uh, enemy machines shot down. And one day, a Messerschmitt collided with his um, Spitfire, um, broke it apart, and he had to bail out. Of course, his legs got stuck in the cockpit, so he ended up unstrapping his legs and bailing out. And, of course, when he was captured by the Germans, they thought that he'd lost both of his legs in the accident and cut the legs off his pants so that they could start to do an operation to stitch him back up. (laughs) (laughs) Found out that they just ruined a good pair of pants. (laughs) So then the Germans actually sent... I actually sent a, uh, a, a, a detachment of troops to find the wreckage of his Spitfire. They dug it out of the ground. They dug his legs out of the wreckage, beat them back into enough shape so that he could still walk around on them, and gave them back to him. Oh, bless. And then what did they do? Like, <laughs> and, put him and in that, a POW camp? And, of course, camp? that night... <laughs> yeah, they threw, him, they threw him in the POW camp, and that <laughs> night, he escaped. <laughs> 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 but he was caught because they did a bit of a bad job of fixing his legs and they squeaked. It's actually a very inspiring story if you actually read the whole story. He, yeah, I can um, imagine. He had the theory that if he could um, cause enough trouble that one German soldier... Uh, one extra German soldier had to be assigned to 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 uh, keep him imprisoned. Then that was one less one on the front, and so he determined for the rest of the year to create as much trouble as he could without <laughs> losing his life. Did, did he survive? <laughs> he did. He was eventually thrown into after numerous escape attempts, thrown into uh, the highest level security prison that they had in Germany. <laughs> oh, uh, what a which, guy! After which he um, was part of a team that was building an aeroplane and a uh, glider, I should say in the roof to actually fly out of the prison. Oh, but anyway, <laughs> the they never actually the launched it. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah, so some good stories out there. There are some inspiring uh, stories of different things that, uh, that, that people do. But uh, heading on to more current news, that one was a little bit... Um, 
bit of throwback. Bit of throwback. Um, Israel Falau has uh-huh. is is uh, launching court proceedings today. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Um, and that's for wrongful dismissal. Um, and this is after, of course, the GoFundMe uh, site that was set up to fund his uh, legal fees was closed by GoFundMe um, because they said that they did not support bigotry, which which really does highlight a, a very a, a huge chasm that exists between uh, Christian and secular society. Mm. Uh, in which secular society, and we need to be aware of this as Christians, does not understand Christian language. And so, you know, and I've said this before, I don't support what uh, Falau said, and I don't support the way that he said it, but I do support his right to say it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But there is a big difference, and I want to read three statements here and um, get you guys to rank them for me as far as their level of offense goes. Okay, so there's this statement, let them go to hell, go to hell, or you will go to hell. And what is the difference between those statements? So let them go to hell, go to hell, or you will go to hell. Let them go to hell is like, it's their own personal choice? Yep, I don't really give, uh, I care about you whatsoever at all. Go to hell, what's that? That's someone directly I really wish you would. Yeah, it's a direct attack, yeah. You will go to hell. What's that? It's like a warning. Yeah, that's a warning, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you read the Falau statement, it was actually a warning. And from a Christian perspective, you know, or, or within many Christian um, contexts, that would be seen as a statement of love. Yeah. You know, if you see if exactly. you see if you see someone standing in the middle of the road and a Mack truck is about to flatten them and you say, Watch out, that's a statement of love yeah. and if this is something that you really seriously believe in, then it's a statement of love to it's something to you're compelled express to say that. you will get mm. hit by a Mack truck. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And you know, if you if you did not warn someone of the Mack truck, then you in in today's society you'd be had up for negligence yeah that's it and so from a religious perspective of course uh falau believes that you know in the court of god he'd be held up for negligence if he didn't say something Mm -hmm. um did he was he wise in the way he said that no because this has been interpreted by secular society as go to hell rather than you will go to hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's definitely uh, wisdom in the fact that we do need to be wise as serpents, but harmless as We dogs. need to understand how secular people communicate. Yeah. yeah, we need to communicate with them. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, after the uh, GoFundMe site was closed down, the Australian Christian Lobby stepped in and they raised $2 million overnight. Yeah, wow. I was 20, just looking at those statistics 20,000 20, people donating, um, and many of them actually doubled their donation when the GoFundMe was closed down because they recognized just how flimsy religious liberty was here in Australia. Mm-hmm. This is going to be a test case. It's going to be interesting to follow. Um, and really what it comes down to is what is a stronger document? Is uh, Code of Conduct a stronger document than uh, Religious Liberty and the uh, Fair Trading Act? Mm. And so really it's these two documents that have been pitted against each other. And this has never gone to court in Australia before. There have been a number of cases that have been headed for the courts, but they have always been settled out of court. So this is the first time it's gone all the way through without it being um, settled outside of court. So uh, Rugby Australia is going to claim a breach of code of conduct. Um, and the code of conduct players should treat everyone equally, fairly, and with dignity, regardless of sexual orientation. And they claim that he did not um, 
treat um, you know homosexual and others who are listed there uh, with dignity. The Fair Work Act, on the other hand, says an employer cannot discriminate against an employee, victimise or sack them because of their religion. Mm -hmm. And so these are two very strong statements, um, both of which have been breached. So what it comes down to is which one of the two is stronger. And that's, you know, that's going to have far-reaching implications for anybody, you know, like us, for instance, who when we come here as employees, sign a code of conduct document. Is that going to be stronger than uh, the Fair Work Act? Um, And, uh, yeah, just going to be uh, fascinating to... uh, um, to, to watch how it goes, and also to look at the issue of the freedom to believe versus the freedom to believe and express. Mm. So many people within secular Australia are saying, yes, of course you've got religious liberty, you're free to believe whatever you want, but you're not free to express yeah, it. Yeah, it's different. And so, um, you know, for many of us, you know, us here included, our religion includes the imperative to express our religion. Mm-hmm. We cannot be a part of our religion without expressing our religion yep. because if we don't express our religion, we cease to, you know, yeah, we're Seventh-day Adventist Christians. It's, yeah. our, it's against our religion not to express our beliefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, this is um, going to be most fascinating to follow and see where this all turns out. I definitely think it's something we, we as a nation need to pray about because we do the result is going to speak volumes for religious liberty in Australia and the we state do. of it. And, you know, the recent election has really highlighted that a lot of people in Australia uh, want to see religious liberty enshrined in uh, legislation mm-hmm. and the Labor Party is really making a strong... Uh, move to try and reconnect with people of faith because they know that they lost, you know, a huge segment of uh, that voting base in the last yep. election. So, yeah, interesting times in which we live. Anyway, this is uh, Cardiphonia Music. Oh, when shall I see Jesus? You're listening to Faith FM.
us drink endless pleasures in and shall hear the trumpet sound in that morning shout of
That was Cardiphonia Music. Oh, when shall I see Jesus here on Faith FM? We've come to our interview of the daytime, but before we get there, we have another clue for our quiz. What have you got for us there, Mon? Okay, clue number two. After being separated from Jesus, it took Mary and Joseph this many days before they found him in the temple courts. Was that the second clue? Yep, yep, I went backwards. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. I'm glad you did them the way around, the way around that you did them because that's an easy one. I know, it's way easier than the one that yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you know what number that is, give us a call, 1-800-FAITH-FM, uh, 1-800-324-843. That's our number. Um, and uh, if you get it right, we'll send you a prize. Indeed, we will. Uh, joining us in the studio this morning is our well-known and very own Darren Pratt. Welcome to the show. Yes, good morning, Lyle. Good morning, Mon. Good to be back in Faith FM studio. And um, Darren. Yeah, we'll, we can switch that heater on and warm it back up again. A couple of things that we want to talk about this morning, but the first one I want to talk about is you recently went to communion. Was it at your church? My home church, Your yes. home church, yeah. How often do you get to go to your home church? Is that kind of regular? About four times a year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those irregular members. <laughs> so you, but you made it there for communion, so that's nice. Yes. And your church does it what? Like, How often a year does your church do communion? Um, about once a quarter every thirteen weeks. Okay, so um, about four times a year. So, yep. so your four times a year, do you sort of like just go there? Is that just you just go there? For well, I like to get at least one if I can of communion because yeah. travelling around, you don't might, get to do it. So. You might miss it. You might miss it. <laughs> so I try and time it so I'm there for at least one. It's a it's a very uh, special ceremony, and for those of you who might not be familiar with it, it's a ceremony in which uh, Christians remember the death of Jesus Christ, and it varies from one church to a church from one church to another. Some churches will do it literally every single day. Yes. Um, and then you'll find other churches that will do it once a week. And uh, Darren's church does it once a quarter and sort of kind of everywhere in between. That's the right. Bible doesn't say how often you should do communion. It just says, as often as you do it, remember me. Just That's what right. says. And I think a special, um, on that week we do do it, it's a really special ceremony. Um, in our church, we practice what we call the whole thing, which is foot washing, which um, we're looking up a ring. Yes. Um, yes. Jesus washed his disciples' uh-huh. feet. And that, I think, creates humility and the right attitude for partaking of the emblems after. That's so. a part of the communion service that is, um, in our day and age, is often skipped over. Oh, that's right. In fact, I, I meet a lot of Christians who it's, it's been so far, it's so far in the distant past that they actually don't know that Christians used to do that. Can't yeah, really. well, well, the pastor said it actually um, is a strange thing, and it makes you feel a bit awkward doing it. That's kind of the whole point, isn't it? That's, that's what he said. It's the whole point is you're meant to feel awkward doing yeah. it. So, <laughs> so yeah, and so we um, we um, have a ceremony where we wash each other's feet um, in a symbolic manner of what Jesus did for his disciples. And remind each other, I mean, that's just, just by doing so, you're reminding yourself that you are not different or better than anybody else. Because that's right. Everybody has feet. It creates community and humility like nothing else can very quickly. Yep. yep. Uh, the Pope has the same same kind of feet that you and I do. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, very good. Something we should bring back into um, all of uh, Christianity, I think. It's a, just a very, very wonderful and special ceremony. And I find that when people come to church and do it for the first time, they're really touched by it. That's right. Now, we as a church practice what we call open communion. You don't have to be anybody special. Yeah, no. Um, as long as you understand what the symbols mean. Then it's about what's in your heart. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, then go for it. That's right, that's right. Which leads me to today's subject, and uh, historically, uh, our church has excluded children from communion. I can remember back in the day when you didn't get to do communion until you were baptised. What is the biblical basis for that? Um, I think the main thing is they want kids 
to understand um, what the symbols mean. That's what I think. Okay, but where's the, where's the Bible verse that says you can't do communion until you're baptized? There's right? none. I was going to say. <laughs> you might be looking for that one for a while. Are there any guidelines in the Bible? There's no guidelines in the Bible. It just says um, that open communion. Um, but to do it in remembrance of Jesus. In remembrance so obviously of Jesus, yeah. You so have to, know to who Jesus understand is. the symbols and what it means and do it in a humble spirit. That's the guidelines, I think. And um, and and remember what Jesus did for you. That, that's the guidelines to enter into is um, understanding the significance of Jesus' um, life, ministry and death and resurrection, mediation, sin return. They all um, are coming to that communion service. Now, you had a bit of a crisis at your last one. Because you nearly ran out of communion bread, I hear. Oh, well, that's right. Um, you, you, <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, well um, my wife actually makes communion bread. She's got a pretty good recipe. So she's now the, the guru at our church on making communion bread. And um, you try and estimate. But, um, yeah, on this day, everyone came forward, including the children. So I'm there holding the basket, watching it empty. And these kids are coming forward, and I think this is awesome being a kid's pastor. Um, they're coming with their families. Um, at this church, everyone's welcome to participate families, children, old, young, they all came. And I'm standing there holding this basket down for each and every child, looking up at me with their earnest eyes, taking the bread and looking at almost running out. But lucky it didn't. But, yeah, there was plenty there. Um, if it had run out, what, you, what would you have done? Okay, so, so let me throw this scenario at you. Let's say you get down to the last few and um, obviously – you're 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 distributing the um, the, the communion the bread, bread. Yep. Um, and typically in that kind of a situation, you always keep some aside for you know the pastor, the yep. elders, the, the 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 band, the musicians, etc. Um, but if uh, if you were in that kind of a situation and you were running out, and there you had the choice between giving it to some kids or giving it to the band, which way would you go? I'll give it to the child. Why but, is that? Tell me. Why. I, I think. Um, the band, well, they're older. They understand more um, what's going on, in my opinion. Uh, myself, I'm a pastor. I think I understand more what's going on. <laughs> the child um, is in what they call the 4 to 14 window, and I think is still making up their mind and wondering about all these things and what it means to them. So I'd rather have the child um, experience the wonder and awe and, and all those things that come into communion, uh, especially getting the symbols, than, than I. When we exclude our children from communion, and that has been um, the tradition in the past, what kind of a message does that send? Well, I think um, that, that they wonder about the mystery of Jesus and why it is that they're not included in that. Why I'm a child growing up in the church, and I experienced this growing up. Um, I can remember the deacons coming along the row, and they would go up over my head, and if I even tried to reach, I'll get a really stern stare. Um, it was very solemn, and I was very, very um, intimidated by these deacons. And but yeah, it's, it sends a message of exclusion rather than inclusion into the kingdom of God. Okay, so when we do include children, do you think we cheapen the surface? I don't think so. Because I, I th- I, you know, looking back in the past, I've sort of asked myself the question, why? Why have we done that? And I've looked for a reason. I'm like, there's got to be a reason. Well, read through the Old Testament um, festivals and ceremonies, and you find there there's some very specific roles for children to play in those ceremonies, asking the why questions so that the adults could repeat the story of what that ceremony means. So, um, And the children learned alongside the adults. Um, so there's some really good biblical backup for the idea of the whole family being involved and a special part for children to play. So I, I think I'm including children in this special ceremony imparts the mystery and the, the work of Jesus to them in a very profound way. 
Okay, so with the, the communion ceremony, you know, you're remembering the death of Christ, and remembering somebody's death is not something that you take lightly. Yeah, and particularly not the death of Jesus. Do you find that there are children who, when you open, or church, in churches where you open it up to the children to participate in communion, do you find that there are children who are just joking around and goofing off and running up and down? No, the no, and, more than any in? other. Because I, I have to. I'm going to throw <laughs> a massive. I'm going to throw a massive spare in the works here, Darren. Like I have never seen a kid partaking in communion. And not mucking around. Like, every time I see a kid taking part in communion, I'm like, that child does not understand that this is a symbol. To this child, it's a snack, and he just wants to have a, a naughty snack in church and get away with it. Because usually you don't really snack in church. So that's, like, been my experience with it. And whilst I don't think that we should exclude them from it, I do think there needs to be a greater emphasis on educating the kids, like maybe in the Sabbath before or maybe in Sabbath school before yep. we're going to church, so they understand like the gravitas of it, like just how serious like how So this is, is a really good question. I, I get that. Your your church hasn't had this experience. No. I, Why? Um, what have they I done think differently? Because we encourage to do it in families and we encourage the parents to make the decision when they think their child is um, ready to participate. We don't say give it to um, any child. We're saying when you as a family think your child understands the symbols and is ready for it, that's when they participate. So it's directed by the, by the parents. Directed by the parents. That's how it works. Let me tell you a story. Um, you've got time to tell the yeah, story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, go, go, go. My son was um, four years old. Um, with a church plant where I was working at, and they did the emblems in Sabbath school, explaining what they meant to the child. That's the sort it's of the bread and the wine. Yep, the yep. bread and the wine, and and we washed their feet. We did the whole thing, non-alcoholic wine. Yes, all that, all that. <laughs> and um, then we did communion with the church, and because we explained to the children, we allowed them to participate in the communion in the church. And on the way home, we're driving home, and I can remember the very stoplights I was stopped at when my son said. Dad, um, Mum, this morning when I was partaking in those symbols, I, I gave my heart to Jesus, my mm-hmm. life to him. I want to be baptised. When can I be baptised? Now, this is, He's like four. Four. And he's a pastor now. He's a pastor now. So that's kind of true short. If I said no to him then and said, oh, you're too young to understand, don't even think about it. I don't know where. He said to me the other day, he said, I don't know, Dad, where I'll be today. But because you affirmed me, you allowed me to participate and you worked with my decision... He's now a pastor in this conference where we are right now today um, because we affirmed him as a four-year-old. Yeah, yeah. And I think this is the important thing. I think you've highlighted something here. It's not just creating a free-for-all. No. But it's actually encouraging parents to uh, be involved in the spiritual life of their child um, in, a very, in, a, in a very practical way because, I mean, you can't have them involved in communion unless the parents have, um, you know, explained to them what yeah. it is. And we need to educate our parents that way. I mean, I remember back in the day when, you know, they, they lift it up over your heads and make sure you don't get anywhere near it. And one of my, one of my mad mates, of course, was able to um, snatch a piece, shove it in his mouth and sit there with a big, <laughs> a big grin like a Cheshire cat, you know. And it was just kind of, uh, you know, that rebellious, rebellious kid thing that you do, you know, when... Uh, and, and I think that... I think that the alternative is actually better where if we educated our children and we train them and we parent them at a younger age so that when they reach, you know, that the, 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 those, those naughty ages, you know, of like 9, 10 yep. or 11 or whatever, that they actually recognise the seriousness of what it's all about. Yeah, and I think so. And that's um, the whole point is putting it back on the families. If families pass those things on, they're more likely to stick 
than if the church or a school or someone else passes it on. So, so a family faith is where we need to centre it and um, allow them to guide their children into this service in a very powerful way. Mm. Bit of a controversial subject here this morning, um, definitely going against the uh, traditions of the past, but uh, tradition is... Okay, so, so what, let's talk about tradition very quickly. We have traditions in our church. All churches have traditions. Yep. And traditions don't come from the Bible. They're just traditions. By nature, you know, it's not a, a, a biblical thus saith the Lord. Are traditions in and of themselves wrong? And are they good, bad, or indifferent? Well, lifeline traditions and rituals can be very powerful. But also I think you need to we, – we believe in sola scriptura, that, that the Bible is our authority. So you need to put those traditions alongside the Bible if they match up. By all means, have those traditions. But if they don't match up the Bible, then, yeah, um, work out, is this relevant? Is this meaningful? What is What are we doing this for? Um, is it passing on something really powerful to our children and to our families? If it's not, then break it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah, the Bible comes first, and I believe that's where we need to um, base all our traditions on. And I think the uh, you know, one of the big takeaways that I've, I've sort of seen here listening to your story and Monica's story, which are two completely opposite yep. experiences, is that if you are going to change the traditions, it needs to be driven by the parents and it needs to that the parents need to be very clear about what they're doing and very intentional about what they are doing so that, you know, it's not just uh, standing up in church one day and saying, hey, we're just going to make this free yeah. for everybody. Kids, come down the front. We want you to get a free snack. It's um, parents actually bringing their children down the front, explaining to them what's going on or having explained to them what's going on. Yeah, also I think you need to... Um help the parent understand how to explain it to the children. So produce re- we produce resources that, that help um, the parents have that discussion and, and have that talk and to help them make that decision when their child is ready to participate. So Let me toss out a really wild idea in our last uh, little minute. Um, you're in charge of uh, each year a lot of children at our annual big camp. It's one of the biggest Christian yes, events Yes, I run six, six event tents there, <laughs> half the campground. <laughs> half the campground. Um, would you ever consider doing communion at big camp? Ooh. I think it would be Awesome to do <laughs> it there. Idea. In fact, now you've given the idea. Look out! But, um, but yeah, um, love it. Yeah, I think um, we're looking at some ideas for an intergenerational tent at camp this year, and um, that might be a good spot to do it with um, mm. the parents and the kids in a in a more meaningful, powerful, worshipful, corporate together way. So look out. Yeah, it's great. You just throw an idea at me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there you go. Um, give us a call, 1-800-324-843. What are the traditions in your church and how do they work? Um, do you include children or do you exclude children? And if so, why? Um, what, are the, what are the reasons behind that? Give us a call. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Um, anyway, we're going to move on with our show. This is Ali and Leighton uh, with Love Takes Time. You're listening to Faith FM. Don't wash my feet Wash me all over To learn To serve like thee Can it be a little easier? Why can't I put you
listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Happy Hearts is a free community craft program for kids aged 1 to 5, designed to encourage growth and creativity through Bible stories. Join us each Tuesday during the school term from 9.30 till 11am at the Senior Citizens Hall, 401 Warburton Highway, Wandon North. For more information or to register, go to happyhandsart.com.au forward slash happyhearts or contact Patricia on 0425 854 516. That's 0425 854 516. Happy Hearts. Free fun for kids and the mess stays with us. Thank you. 